John Horgan's COVID diagnosis, plus... Disbelief. I mean, we've been looking forward to the cruise ships coming. The suspected outbreak that's delaying the start of cruise ship season. The scramble to sign mortgages. This situation with uh, Russia and Ukraine has accelerated the timeline. How interest rate hikes could dramatically cool the market. And the Grammy winner from Smithers. Hello, everybody. This is also real. What Alex Cuba thinks of his newfound fame. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. After recently undergoing treatment for throat cancer, Premier John Horgan revealed he's tested positive for COVID-19. Horgan sharing the news on his Twitter account, saying he received his test results early this morning. His symptoms are mild and he will be self-isolating and working from home. Now, health officials have been warning the BA2 subvariant is more transmissible than the original COVID strain. And we may already be at the start of the sixth wave. So here's a look at how we're doing right now. Hospital numbers are up in B.C., 321 in hospital now. That's up 47 since Friday. And there's one additional person in the ICU for 36 total. We have 728 new cases over the last three days. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the Premier's diagnosis and a preview of tomorrow's COVID-19 presser. Keith, let's start with the Premier and his condition. Yeah, I've been texting back and forth with the Premier just a short time ago, Chris, and he's got a, maintains a pretty good sense of humor. He says, I asked him how he's doing. He says, not too bad, KB. I've got the sniffles and a dry cough. I uh, have no sense of taste, and but that is not new. A bit of humor there. Uh, hopeful for continuing mild case. So again, I think he's uh, has mild symptoms. He's resting at home, but he is working. One of the people he talked to the most today was Adrian Nix. We'll get to him in a moment. But one of the reasons why John Horgan tested positive may be because where he lives. Take a look at the positivity rate. Where John Horgan lives and works has the highest positivity rate by far. Vancouver Island, 17%. Uh, that's more than three times that of Metro Vancouver. The interior in the north at 14%. Vancouver Coastal at 5.8%. And the BC average now 7.8%. That's actually up almost a point. Vancouver Island's actually gone down a little bit. Everyone else is up a point. The positivity rate continues to go up. As I mentioned, uh, Adrian Dix, one of the guys on the phone the most with the Premier today, we caught up with him in the hallway. You know, the Premier took uh, a lot of uh, efforts um, in the period uh, after uh, the end of his uh, cancer treatments, uh, course of transfer, uh, cancer treatments to, uh, to uh, uh, protect himself, and he continues to do that. We also know that in spite of that, um, people can uh, test positive to a very uh, transmissive COVID-19 Omicron variant. And so uh, I think uh, the message is get vaccinated. The second message is get vaccinated. All right. We wish the premier a speedy recovery. Uh, tomorrow, mm -hmm. the province is going to announce a number of developments and changes to BC's COVID rules. What have you learned about what's coming? Yeah, so Dr. Barney Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix have a one o'clock news conference tomorrow. We're going to get new modeling that sort of projects where we may be headed with a slightly higher positivity rate and uh, the BA2 variant now, the dominant variant out there. We're going to get an update on the fourth dose or the second booster dose. And as I reported last night, uh, the people in long-term care are going to get the fourth dose first. So we'll get an update on that as well. We're also going to get uh, a change in reporting. We've been reporting the case numbers every day, almost every day or five days a week. That's going to 
going to change right now or starting next week, we're going to switch to a weekly report on every Thursday. So we're not going to get the daily case numbers anymore, folks, unless something extraordinary happens. Uh, that's going to be announced tomorrow. One o'clock news conference. We'll carry that live on BC One. I'll leave you with one optimistic statistic. So the number of people in hospital is increasing. ICU continues to drop. And here's the number that's really optimistic. In Jan late January, 71 people were on ventilators in ICUs. As it stands now, just 11 people are on ventilators. That's a sign that BA2 variant nowhere near as uh, severe as the Omicron variant. All right. Look forward to coverage of that media briefing tomorrow. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Thanks, Keith. Well, spring is a time of religious and cultural gatherings, and for the first time in two years, plans are underway to gather in person for some Easter, Vasaki, and Ramadan events. But with the highly contagious Omicron variant circulating, there are serious concerns about public health. Global's Kamal Karmali reports. The holy month of Ramadan has just begun for Muslims. But their prayers have already been answered. COVID restrictions lifted. It was very exciting to see Islam is all about unity, Islam is all about oneness. Hundreds of Muslims will be able to gather here in person and break their Ramadan fast at the end of each day together. But fear of COVID infections means no buffets. We have prepared kits already, so in the box you will have many different items available. It's also the holiest weekend of the year for Christians, with Easter just around the corner, and new concerns about an increase of COVID cases as the highly contagious Omicron variant BA2 spreads. Father Stanley Galvin is expecting 800 parishioners for his Sunday service at Holy Rosary Cathedral, where communion will go ahead. Masks and distancing are recommended, but not mandatory. It's... Uh possible to have a little bit of space between each person will encourage that. The health minister has allowed religious organizations to implement their own safety measures. All faith communities are taking different steps to both support um, their congregations and also uh, to ensure that people are safe. The Sikh and Hindu celebration Vasaki set for the same week as Easter. Festivities are scaled back this year. Both parades are cancelled for the third year in a row, but smaller celebrations will go ahead at the Ross Street Temple with food being shared. People are cautious themselves and they are taking measures themselves. But with so many religious celebrations and hundreds planning on gathering, a growing fear of more COVID outbreaks and a prayer that those fears won't come to light. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Well, on the topic of cancellations, cruise ship season won't kick off as hope now that the first ship scheduled to arrive Wednesday is stuck in California with a suspected COVID outbreak. Passengers were due to visit Victoria and Vancouver, but they're flying home instead. And as Krista Dow shows us, it's another setback for B.C. businesses already hurt by the pandemic. At Smith's Bar and Restaurant, Tom Young is looking to keep his spirits up as he navigates yet another obstacle, disappointment. Shock, uh, disbelief. I mean, we've been looking forward to the cruise ships coming for so long. The Caribbean Princess was the first cruise ship scheduled to arrive in B.C. after two years, docking in Victoria on Wednesday and Vancouver on Thursday. But the route abruptly cancelled. We're disappointed that the first ship uh, won't be coming. Frankly, changes to itineraries do happen, especially at the start or the end of the season. Those are not uncommon. Princess Cruises says the sailing would not continue because of maintenance. 
But passenger Ali Carroll believes that is not the only thing, saying there is lots of COVID. The whole 12th floor is an isolation ward. The ship now at Level Orange means the Center for Disease Control is investigating. We don't know what the real answer is, but obviously disappointing for those in Vancouver and Victoria. Um, there's over 350 uh, going into Victoria and stops in Victoria, and there's over 300 ships coming to and departing from Vancouver. But for Gastown businesses struggling, it's a loss of thousands of potential customers. A lot of people come off those cruise ships and just trickle down. It's like a new city coming onto onto the, into another city. It's a shock to the staff as well because now we're any any staffing we do for it, it's like okay, well now we've got to cut you. It won't be back up to the almost three billion dollars of value that cruise brings to Canada this year, but we're hoping maybe by 2023, 2024, we'll just start to see that grow. Despite the slow restart, Belanger believes it will be a healthy cruising season. He, like others, taking a glassful approach. The next ship to arrive in Vancouver is Sunday. Bringing all the staff and hopefully pints will be flowing and the place will be good for him. Krista Dow, Global News. RCMP are releasing new images asking for help to identify suspects in two separate shootings over the past four months. Both shootings happened on Chickadee Place in Coquitlam. The first was December 4th when a man was shot in his vehicle while his nine-year-old son was in the back seat. Police believe it was a case of mistaken identity. Now they're searching for a silver sedan seen leaving the area. Then on March 25th, Chris Irwin was shot in the same area. He is known to police and is expected to survive. A short time later, a red Toyota RAV4 went up in flames in Port Moody. Police believe it is linked to the shooting. Given the most recent attempt made on the life of Chris Irwin, resulting in injuries, to unrelated members of the public. Police want to warn the public that anyone with Irwin or in proximity to Irwin are putting themselves at great risk, including his own family and friends. BC's independent police watchdog says it's so short-staffed it's compromising its ability to do its job. As Romina Dea reports, the workload is only increasing after at least three new police-involved incidents in the past few days. The Independent Investigations Office says it's stretched to the limit. Our caseload actually has doubled um, from the previous two fiscal years. Roughly 70 incidents under investigation by the police watchdog. Six new cases just this past weekend, including two officer-involved shootings. Hiring new staff, a colossal challenge, says the IIO's Chief Civilian Director, Ron McDonald. Uh, out of the... 30 frontline investigator positions we have, we only have 24 filled. An IIO frontline investigator averages $101,000 a year. No overtime allowed because of government restrictions, says McDonald. Adding his agency can't compete with the salaries of police departments like Vancouver Police and the new Surrey Police Service. Fifteen dollars to $25,000 more on a base salary than our investigators. And our investigators can't earn overtime. Uh, as you can see, it makes it very hard for us to be competitive. McDonald believes it's time the IIO became an independent body of the legislature, allowing for better pay and OT. He wants the agency severed from the Attorney General's ministry. The minister looking at extending the IIO's ability to hire former police to address staffing shortages. 
They have a couple of challenges. One is certainly salary. The other are these restrictions on hiring. Uh, so we'll be working and we are working with the IAO to address that. Romina Dea, Global News. The woman who ran an unlicensed daycare in Vancouver where a toddler tragically died has pleaded guilty. Susie Yasmin Saad pleaded guilty in court today to one count of failing to provide the necessaries of life for nine children, including McAllen Saney. Saad ran the Olive Branch daycare where the 16-month-old, also known as Baby Mac, was found dead in his playpen January 18th of 2017. A civil lawsuit alleges he choked on an electrical cord. Saad will next appear in court on May 4th to decide on a date for sentencing. Well, as if housing isn't already expensive, a warning about rising interest rates that might push homes even further out of reach. That's next on the News Hour. Rebranding bridges and tunnels, the new names under consideration later on the News Hour. And BC's Alex Cuba wins big at the Grammys, where he was when he found out he won later. Right now, though, if Metro Vancouver's housing market wasn't already hard enough to get into, there is growing concern tonight about rising mortgage rates. But there could be some relief on the horizon. John Waugh shows us what home shoppers could expect over the next few months. The dream of home ownership in British Columbia often comes with the harsh reality of massive debt. But now those worried about rising interest rates might soon be facing their worst nightmare. So they're starting to feel very frustrated, uh, being priced out of the market. Mortgage payments are, are higher than what they um, you know, planned. The Bank of Canada not mincing words. There are more aggressive hikes to its key interest rate on the horizon. The bank has been clear that higher interest rates are needed to bring inflation sustainably back to the 2% level. The climb to a 4% closed five-year fixed mortgage is rising quickly among Canada's big banks. TD's posted rate at 3.81%, the same at the Bank of Montreal. CIBC advertising a rate of 3.91, with RBC on the cusp at 3.97%. Scotiabank leaping over the line with 4.99% as its posted rate. Maybe by late spring we might start seeing the 4% range or even into early summer. Take a five-year fixed mortgage of $700,000 with a 25-year amortization. At 2.5%, the monthly payment is just over $3,100. A jump to 4% means having to come up with an extra $550 a month. Some of my buyers that have been looking for the last year or two have decided not to um, you know, proceed anymore. For those still hoping to get into BC's housing market, the rates are expected to cool demand. That should start to fuel again the declining demand, but also uh, I expect to see some declines in prices in the second half of this year. And for homeowners who will soon have to renew, the Bank of Canada hoping most will be able to handle the higher payments. A lot of households paid down principal during the pandemic. The Bank of Canada knows it has to strike a balance for people with high loan-to-income ratios. Some argue that's the definition of a homeowner here in B.C. John Hua, Global News. Another B.C. Liberal MLA is stepping down. Surrey South member Stephanie Cadu tweeting out today she is resigning her seat in the legislature to take on the job as Canada's first ever chief accessibility officer. The resignation will take effect at the end of the month. A by-election will likely be held sometime in June. Cadu was first elected in 2009. 
Of course, another by-election is being held April 30th in Vancouver, Colchana, where Liberal leader Kevin Falcon is looking to take the seat, which was vacated by former leader Andrew Wilkinson. And just ahead, the clash over a car rental. I was incredibly... What happened when this customer was penalized for something she says she didn't do? But first, a future without flooding. How Abbotsford is tackling its biggest climate threat. Steady on most of the major routes now, including Highway 1 eastbound. Traffic is just a little bit congested at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermac Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Some costly and controversial proposals are on the table today as Abbotsford Council looks to avoid a repeat of last fall's devastating floods. The options include moving sections of the dike that failed with major consequences potentially for some property owners. Grace Key has more on what's being considered and who's likely to pay for it. Carl Meyer is getting ready for planting season. Back in November, this shop was filled with several feet of water when the devastating floods hit. The city of Abbotsford is now looking at flood mitigation, but he's afraid one of the options could impact his farm. Diking water towards our land isn't it's not fair, but I don't have a choice, but I feel it'll definitely hold more water than it did last time. There will be conflicts of interest for different farmers, depending on which side of the dike you're on. City staff presented council with four flood mitigation options. One, permanent repairs for Sumas Dike, upgrades for Barrowtown Pump Station, $209 million. Option two builds on that, adding a new Sumas River Pump Station, $1.3 billion. Option three and four, each more than $2.4 billion, meet flood protection guidelines, adds the relocation and creation of new dikes, controlled overflows, and designated floodways that would require the acquisition of lands repurposed for farming crops. Those properties can still be used for farming. They are not that they're out of bounds. Uh, they would only see water if water comes across the border. Uh, for the rest of the time, uh, farmers can do what they've been doing for the last hundred years. But possibly the structures would have to be... We would not pro uh, provide any building permits for lands in that area, and there will be some buildings that would have to be removed. As for funding, that would come from senior levels of government. I have uh, uh, regular conversations uh, with Mayor Brown. He indicated to me that they have got the uh, four different options that they're looking at, and he's going to go out and do some significant uh, consultation, which is exactly what uh, needs to happen. Uh, but we've been working with, uh, in partnership with Abbotsford, and I look forward to the results of those consultations. These are conceptual plans that could change. There will be an opportunity for public engagement and feedback. A decision will be made in late spring. Grace Key, Global News. A BC woman got into a dispute with a car rental company that she couldn't resolve, so she reached out to Global News. She's a non-smoker and got dinged for something she says she didn't do. That's when Andrea stepped in to help, and Thanks, Sophie. Andrea Kaplan was hit with a $400 U.S. smoking fee. Not only is Andrea a non-smoker, but she says she received the all-clear from the car rental agent when she returned her vehicle. Now she's sharing her story to warn others. 
It was supposed to be a special trip for Andrea Kaplan, a visit to Florida to celebrate a milestone birthday for her mom. We were really excited to get away and celebrate her, her 90th. But the joy from that celebration was quickly overshadowed by frustration when Andrea returned her rental vehicle. I was incredibly, incredibly aggravated. When Andrea flew to Florida back in January, she picked up her car at Sixth Rental in Fort Lauderdale. And when she dropped it off, Andrea says the sixth agent who inspected the vehicle gave her the green light. The agent at the airport gave me the okay that they inspected it. It was all good to go. Until four days later when she received an unexpected surprise, an invoice indicating a smoking charge of $400 U.S. Andrea is a non-smoker, and so is her partner, the only passenger who was in the vehicle. Very aggravated and very disgusted that they were being so blatant in their attempt at charging me for something that rightfully was not me doing. Andrea reached out right away, but had little success convincing the car rental company. Initially, they said, oh, it's actually a bad odor that you're being charged for, not smoking. And then they reverted back to, no, it's a smoking charge. She says Six even sent her these pictures, suggesting the rental company had evidence. They sent me a picture of a vehicle that had some, what they claim are ashes. I can't really tell what they are. It just looks like dirt to me couldn't really tell that it was even my vehicle. It was just a close-up of the console. And basically, I guess they think it's my word against them, and there was nothing they were going to do. It was a losing battle. Andrea turned to Consumer Matters for help. When we reached out to Six and shared Andrea's story, a Six representative told us there is nothing more important than for us to ensure every customer has the very best experience with us. We have resolved the concern the customer had to their satisfaction. The day after they received your email, I received a phone call from their head of customer service, very apologetic for the whole situation. However, Six gave no explanation why it charged Andrea the smoking fee in the first place. In the end, the rental company not only refunded Andrea the smoking charge, but also gave her a full refund on the entire cost of her rental of over $900. So when renting a vehicle, it's a good idea to take photos or video of the vehicle's exterior and interior before and after its return. Also, keep all your receipts and watch out for any unusual charges on your credit card. If there's something you don't recognize, report it to your credit card company immediately. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, good work. Thanks, Anne. Up next, backlash against Russian brutality. With evidence of atrocities piling up in Ukraine, the world struggles with how to handle it. And angel flights, why business is really taking off for this small East Kootenai operation. Good evening. Two lanes north and one south over here at the Lionsgate Bridge, and traffic is steady in both directions. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A warning off the top here about our next story. Some of the video is disturbing. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says more sanctions against Russia from the West won't be enough to stop alleged atrocities in his country. His comments come after the bodies of civilians were found in the streets around Kiev after Russian troops withdrew. Aaron MacArthur reports. Shot in the street. Dozens of civilians gunned down in the town of Bucha. 
their bodies left to the elements. Some of the victims obviously murdered in cold blood, shot with their hands bound. The streets, only a fraction of the alleged atrocities committed here. Some people were found in the basements of buildings. This woman found her husband after he was taken two weeks ago. She says, I recognized him by his shoes, his trousers. He'd been shot in the head, mutilated, tortured. Russians pulled back from the towns and villages northwest of the capital, Kyiv, over the weekend. What they left in their wake is being called genocide. About 30 minutes away from Bucha, a mass grave discovered. This man says they took three people from a car. They were tortured and killed. President Zelensky toured the area, including Bucha, Monday. Visibly shaken, he's calling for the West to step up with more immediate support. Russia claiming the bodies are the work of Ukrainian forces and Western allies, planted to discredit its operation. Maxar satellite images show the bodies on the main road in Bucha have been there for weeks. Canada's foreign affairs minister saying Russian war crimes must be punished, promising more sanctions. These are clearly war crimes. These are clearly uh, crimes against humanity. We know we have to do more and we will be doing more. The Russian offensive in and around Kyiv appears to have ended. After five weeks of war, Two-thirds of all Russian forces have pulled back to Belarus, likely regrouping for further assaults in eastern and southern Ukraine. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A volunteer air service for patients in the southern interior is experiencing a huge increase in demand, putting a strain on its budget. Kylie Stanton shows us how Angel Flight East Kootenai turns an arduous day-long road trip into just a few minutes in the air. We're beautifully clear here at 14,000 feet. On days like this, it's a little piece of heaven up here. Sure is, yeah, it's fabulous. An escape for those on board, if even for a moment, from the more pressing issues waiting for them back on solid ground. I have to go for surgery in Kelowna. I was coming for a medical procedure. Take your time. Angel Flight is transporting these patients and so many others to and from their medical appointments free of charge. And it's greatly appreciated. A godsend. The primary route runs between Cranbrook and Kelowna, cutting what would be a 543-kilometer seven-hour road trip down to just a quick 48-minute flight. I realize that we needed this in this area. Brent Bidston co-founded Angel Flight East Kootenai back in 2019. That first year, flying 15 people. In 2020, that number grew to 95, 110 in 2021, and with 93 already coming on board so far this year, it's clear the service has taken off and demand is growing. So we could be seeing a, a three to four times increase this year. Midston says that's largely due to the purchase of this Cessna twin-engined aircraft. It's pressurized and can fly in virtually any kind of weather, making the service much more reliable. But of course it comes at extra cost. It's a more expensive plane to operate, and then that was rapidly followed by this massive increase in fuel costs. In the last three weeks, the price of fuel to operate has jumped 20 percent, leaving the service that relies solely on grant funding and donations, looking for a few angels of their own. We're looking for corporate sponsors, hopefully, 
that are prepared to commit for more than just one donation to give us a little bit more stability and give us a chance to plan ahead. And in turn, continue to give these patients peace of mind as well when they truly need it most. It's just a real gift to us. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still ahead, Alex Cuba steps into the spotlight. So I'm still in shock. I'm still in shock because I won't. How the singer just made Smithers the Latin music capital of Canada. And the new climate report that shows we're running out of time to make meaningful changes in energy production. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A new United Nations climate change report says countries aren't transitioning off fossil fuels quickly enough. And that includes Canada, despite what Prime Minister Trudeau announced here last week. Global's Kyle Benning has more on the report and the urgent challenge ahead. While rushing water provides millions of Canadians with electricity, the rush to transition to renewable energy might not be happening fast enough. That's according to a new report from a United Nations panel overseeing research on climate change. The UN Secretary General says in order to reach the goal to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, global emissions need to drop 45 percent by 2030. But current climate pledges would mean a 14 percent increase in emissions. And most major emitters are not taking the steps needed to fulfill even these inadequate promises. Antonio Guterres says investing in new fossil fuel infrastructure is moral and economic madness. The report says there has to be a serious global shift away from the use of fossil fuels and pointed to the decreased costs in green energy. The longer we put off action in terms of, uh, in terms of addressing climate change, the bigger the feasibility challenges will be. And those challenges are evident in Canada. People coast to coast to coast have witnessed increased droughts, floods, wildfires and heat waves. Last week, the federal government released an emissions reduction plan with the goal to reach net zero by 2050, including a cap on oil production. What our plan clearly shows is regardless of what happens uh, with production, we will meet our, 20, our 2030 targets. Environment Minister Stephen Gilbo says the cap will be announced before April 13th, but production will increase as global demand intensifies following Russian sanctions over the war in Ukraine. And while the world is still in the midst of an energy transition, environmentalists hope this helps further the move away from coal, oil and gas. If we want to transform our economies, if we want to secure our future, that begins first and foremost by tackling uh, those direct emissions uh, from fossil fuels, energy and industry. Kyle Benning, Global News. Lots to think about, obviously, including when are we going to get some more sunshine? Because I know a little leaguer who wants mm -hmm. to see more of it, but doesn't look so great out there. Let's get the latest from Christy. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Chris. Well, Sophie was talking about putting away her winter coat, and you'll note that I'm wearing my winter coat. That's how chilly it is out here. We only warmed up to nine degrees, well below seasonal for this time of year. Now, we do have still some rainfall in the forecast. Here's a look at the satellite. It's been very spotty, but we've had reports of downpours of hail, certainly some lightning strikes as well. When these cells roll across, they're pretty heavy at times. This was a scene earlier today in Penticton showing those dark, flat-bottom clouds, and it does mean snowfall for the mountain passes. Do not travel 
travel over the next 24 hours without snow tires, especially the Coquihalla. We're talking about 30 centimeters of snow. Sea to sky also expecting some and certainly Allison Pass up to 15. We've also had concerns about uh, winds. So wind warnings for the west coast of Vancouver Island near Victoria as well. Uh, gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour are still possible overnight. Right now there's about 9,000 people without power across that southern tip of Vancouver Island. Tomorrow morning we still are expecting showers but the trend is towards sunshine by the afternoon as that clears out. Wednesday will also start off sunny but you can see another system tracking towards the coast on Wednesday uh, so that will impact us as well sort of into our Thursday. In the meantime tomorrow again chance of showers we do have a risk of thunderstorms in through the interior. More sunshine expected later in the day and that will be the plan across the south coast as well. A touch warmer tomorrow. In fact Wednesday Thursday look a lot warmer with 17 degrees potentially on Thursday and that's mild air is going to be felt right across the province but again don't put away your jacket just yet. It, it does look like it could get cold as we head into the latter part of the weekend and into next week once again. Uh, here's tonight's central windows weather window from Abbotsford. Cindy sending us this one showing yes beautiful signs of spring. Look at those adorable goslings. Thanks Cindy. So no, cute. Nothing like a little cuddle with mama. And I did bring the winter coat back out. <laughs> that is going to come in handy. All right, when the new crossings are built to replace the Patolo Bridge and the Massey Tunnel, it won't just be the structures that are different, the names will change too. As Richard Zussman reports, it'll be a complete rebranding with input from the public to reflect the diversity of the province. This is the Patello Bridge, named after a former Premier. And this is the Massey Tunnel, named after a former MLA. But over the next decade, when these projects are replaced, their names will be two. It's a new project and uh, it's a new century and it's a new opportunity to uh, consider uh, what we ought to uh, name uh, significant uh, infrastructure projects like this. As part of work being done to better reflect the province's diversity, naming policies have been revamped. New projects will go to public consultation to find appropriate names. In the old days, I don't know how namings were done. I think they were probably done, you know, by cabinet or in, in, in back rooms or, or by the ministry itself. And we, we have a public engagement strategy for that. The province says it will not be renaming current bridges, highways and roads, only looking to make changes when a replacement, like in these two cases, comes. But it's also an opportunity to put forward uh, an imagination of what our community is really about. Are we a caring community or are we going to be a community that, that is really stuck in old ways? Libraries, schools, cities, all adding indigenous names beside English ones. Another part of the larger conversation around names. I think it's being able to understand that in particular kinds of communities and particular kinds of contexts, uh, it's going to require different strategies. One option for a new name for a new tunnel is the old name going back to the Dees Island Tunnel. This new crossing was to be a tunnel. Researchers recently bringing to government's attention the island was named after John Sullivan Dees, a black tinsmith who started a salmon canning business in 1871. I think that's a, a very good suggestion to, to look at honoring um, one of the most significant black entrepreneurs in our history that created an entire industry and generated significant wealth uh, for the salmon fishing industry. It would be a great idea that the government uh, or BC take all the efforts see, 
to recognize John Deas. New spans allowing BC to drive a new course towards what a name represents. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Squire uh, is here now with a look ahead to sports. And there's a small town in England, Squire, that Canadian soccer fans should be very grateful to. That's true. It's kind of bizarre trivia, but the coaches of our men's and women's national soccer teams, John Herdman and Bev Priestman, are both from the same town in England. Consett, population about 25,000. And listen, the reason I'm here is because of John. You know, he coached me as a young player. And he also encouraged Bev to be a coach, helped her learn the game, and now she's a gold medal winner. It all makes sense now. All right, also the Grammy winner who calls Smithers BC home. How Alex Cuba heard he won later. All right, Squire joins us now with sports. No one wants to start in a hole, Squire, but that's happening a little too often. <laughs> that's a good point. Nobody does want to start anything in a hole. Okay, so comebacks are fun. They're exciting to watch, but really, comebacks are the hardest way to win hockey games. Most games, if you start bad, you finish bad. And last night was another contest where the Vancouver Canucks started like an old car on a cold morning. We've talked about this before. The Canucks have talked amongst themselves many times. They've probably been yelled at because of it. But again, in the game against Vegas on Sunday, a slow start meant the Canucks had to go to overtime where they lost another crucial game. Oh, it's like a broken record. I was already thinking it before you asked. Uh, I don't know what else you want me to say about it, to be honest. Went ready to play and lost in overtime. Obviously, uh, played her butts off for the second and third, but it's too late. Like I said a million times, it's can't do that every night in the league. It's hard. I mean, I don't know what else you can say. I don't know why we don't start on time. I mean, they had us 10-1 in shots at the first period. Uh, I think teams know this, and they come out flying, and we should be able to know that, hey, <laughs> hold off and, and play hard for the first period. And we usually, when we're in the lead or tied, we usually end up winning the game. Now, these are the first period scores of the last five Canuck home games. No goals. There's been a couple of 0-0 starts, but they need goals. They need to put teams on their heels in the first 20 minutes. And if you go back over the last nine games, both home and road, the Canucks have scored just one goal in the first period. And in those nine games, they are 2-4-3. and three. Tiger Woods played a practice round at Augusta today. One of the guys he played with was Fred Couples. Afterwards, Couples said Tiger never complained of any pain walking. He thinks if he can walk all 72 holes, he'll be a contender this week. Now, Tiger has not said if he'll play for sure. It all depends how he feels when he gets up in the morning. He, of course, nearly lost his right leg in a traffic accident last February. But just watching him, he seemed to be swinging and walking okay. And there were a lot of people watching him. Even Tiger practicing draws a huge crowd. And for other players, especially the younger ones who watched him growing up, like Patrick Cantlay, they love him being there. I hope that he is able to tee it up this week and play well. And obviously that's the greatest thing for our sport. Um, there's definitely a different feel in tournaments that he tees it up in. Players are feeling that buzz of anticipation? I would say, yeah. Um, everyone's excited about it. And, um, you know, even last week hearing the potential for him to play was exciting to the guys. The World Men's Curling Championships in the curling hotbed that is Las Vegas. 
Brad Gushu in the Canadian rink, still unbeaten after a win over Italy today, 10-4. Uh, Canada off to a good start. It does look like Bev Priestman is pointing at me and yelling and laughing. Uh, when John Herdman left Canada's women's soccer team to coach the men, his old friend Bev Priestman, the woman pointing at me, uh, took over and, of course, won Olympic gold last year. She and her players will be at BC Place in a game Friday against Niger- Nigeria and in Langford for a game against Nigeria next Monday. For the Canadian women, going from one coach to another was very easy because Herdman and Priestman have the same soccer roots. And Becky goes for the top corner and she finds it in wonderful fashion. It truly has been wonderful watching the play of our women's national soccer team. Currently ranked sixth in the world, Canada's continued to make strides under new head coach Bev Priestman. Priestman and Canada winning Olympic gold last summer. Now comes another massive soccer mountain to climb, World Cup success, where our Canadian women have bowed out of the group stage four times while only advancing to the semifinals once in seven appearances. It is. It's a much longer tournament, totally different ask. And you go and play in top 10 teams, but then the next game you can be playing a 30th ranked team in the world. So it just, it asks more of you, um, but it's something we're really looking forward to. Just like the rest of Canada, Priestman was keeping close tabs on John Herdman and our men's national team. Priestman served as an assistant coach back when Herdman was still in charge of the women's program. That connection extending beyond the pitch and across the continent. We're similar in some ways. I worked for the guy for 10 years and, and he's given me incredible moments and skills and has got me to where I am today. But, you know, personality-wise, we, we come from different families but from the same same hometown, but he's had a massive influence on, on my career. This is kind of a monument concert. That small town is Concert, England, population 25,000, and who still helped build Blackpool Tower and some of the UK's nuclear submarines. Now two of their soccer exports are helping guide Canada into the deep depths of a world soccer pool where Canada is no longer a fledgling minnow. And the reason I'm here is because of John. You know, he coached me as a young player, and right then he was a special coach. And I think um, he's seen something in me, he gave me opportunities, and here I am as a gold medal winning coach. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible. You know who else is from Consett? Who? Mr. Bean. Rowan oh, really? Something about that little town. <laughs> Got to go visit that place. Something in the water. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, the Grammy winner from Smithers, who's giving Selena Gomez a run for her money. All right, Jordan Armstrong is standing by with details of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, a warning for women tonight about a series of sex assaults inside Metrotown. We'll have a description of the suspect at 11. Also, who would hit a couple and their two dogs, leave them at the side of a road, and just keep on driving? Well, someone in the community of Lanceville near Nanaimo did, injuring both pedestrians and pets. Tonight, the appeal to find the person responsible. Also, an 80-pound tortoise has either escaped or been stolen from a backyard in Surrey. Maxine's owners are elderly and desperate to get her back. We'll hear from them. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that, Jordan. All right. Northern B.C. seems like an unlikely place to find a Grammy-winning Latin performer, but Smithers is pretty proud of Alex Cuba tonight. Cuba won Best Latin Pop Album last night, and as Jay Durant tells us on This Is B.C., he was experiencing truly Canadian weather when he learned of his win. He had been nominated three times before for Best Latin Pop Album. Finally, Alex Cuba got his Grammy. And he found out thanks to a call from his publicist while driving back home through heavy snow after weekend gigs in the Okanagan. 
I, I am actually proud of myself because I didn't lose it. You know, I, I kept driving straight. <laughs> this is so surreal. I'm still in shock. The 48-year-old who was born Alexis Puentes has been making music since a very young age, inspired by his father, who was a music teacher, and playing alongside his twin brother while growing up in Cuba. My parents never had to tell me to go practice. Music was a calling for me from very early. I, I, I just couldn't get enough of it. Are you my reflection when I'm looking in the mirror? Alex moved to Canada in 1999, four years after meeting his wife Sarah, whose family is from Smithers. She's also his manager. So there was a little family celebration Sunday night, while also reading some of the hate messages from fans of Selena Gomez, who was nominated in the same category. Somebody said, Selena, um, she made an effort to, do, to make an album in Spanish, so she deserved to win. <laughs> Mendo is the name of his Grammy-winning album, and it was recorded in the family living room, which meant he had to stop sometimes to deal with noises coming from the street. My neighbor had a, a diesel, you know, an old diesel truck, and uh, he would turn it on and go, and have it on for like 40 minutes, and then we'll get in it, in it, go around the block and come back and leave it running for another 40 minutes. And I'm like, when is he going to stop? Yeah, 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 yeah. When I say... But this is a win he'll share with the entire community because that elusive Grammy is finally coming to Smithers. Now I call it the, the Latin music capital of Canada. They are proud of me. They, they feel, I feel their love. Jay Durant, Global News. Pretty awesome, Alex, and congratulations. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell and you want to share it with BC, just email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, quick final word on the weather, Christy. Sure, so we still do have a chance of showers overnight, but that should clear out. Enjoy the sunshine tomorrow afternoon and milder this week, which will be nice after today. Can't wait. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.